coming to you from our new home at DynastyLeagueFootball.com and a DLF family of podcasts. We are the Superflex Super Show. We talk QB values, Superflex strategies, evaluate and debate Superflex trades, plus our own twist on Superflex team management with exercises like Tinderflex, Super 6, and You Are Nuts. So when you're done with this awesome DLF podcast, find us on Twitter at Superflex Show and join us in the discussion of the fastest growing format in all of fantasy football, Superflex, on the Superflex Super Show. Hello, welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. Uh, yeah, what's up? Uh, I was recently crunching the numbers on the Dynasty Crossroads and I managed to get it back on Spotify, so hopefully you're listening to this on Spotify. And if so, well, welcome in. It's been a minute. Um... We're up to about uh, 1,500 downloads an episode. Uh, we're very much an off-season podcast. We get more listens in the off-season than in-season. And I'm pretty happy with those numbers, though it wasn't, you know, the million that obviously everyone hopes to see. But honestly, yeah, uh, I think I just put more pressure on myself by finding that out. And um, this episode was going to be about something different, but I've actually, uh, not to bore the crap out of you my own personal problems, but I've actually, I've actually really hurt my back and sitting up really hurts. And uh, yeah, we're just going to roll with whatever I can get out. And the thing that I've researched the most recently, and I also realized because the NFL draft is literally about to happen, um, that's uh, it's probably a better subject. And that's how many hits we should or can typically expect by position from an individual draft class. There's been a lot of talk about this draft class um, and not so much about, you know, our expectations from a draft class versus the actual results. And so I thought that might be interesting. So, yeah, let's get to it. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and nerds all at once. I am one of those skeptical of status quo. Lazy and to the bone, no doubt about it. Sometimes I grind my Excel sheets. Sometimes pour cold water on heat. When the mass not adding up, you said I'm checking out. I'm just piling, working to the ground. So apologize if that introduction sucks or any of the editing in this uh, podcast episode sucks, especially since I just got back on Spotify. This is not a good welcome back. And uh, yeah, I guess I'm incredibly old because I walked outside and turned left a bit and my back was like, oh no, you can't try that kind of athleticism. Here's some pain. And who cares? Let, let's go. So yeah, I had a whole, I had a plan for this week week and it was going to be lit it's all about knowing correlations and values and trends and then looking for incongruities and that's how i'd make a trade target list and we're just not going to do it because uh, people get mad at me every time every time honestly for almost the exact same reason but they think they've come up with something new when i post about the average expectation from an individual draft class and you know because i keep thinking people are on Twitter or listen to you at some point if you just keep patiently explaining they're saying things you said they're saying you said things you didn't say I just keep talking and until eventually they go away as if I was the one bothering them so yeah there you go but 
Here's the thing, our expectations for an individual draft class tend to be way too high. We have, what, like 50 wide receivers and running backs ranked at this point, and there's no way nearly uh, any of those guys are actually going to be fantasy relevant. So the typical way I look for it in the market share or college database, which hopefully you all know about, free, posted, pinned everywhere, probably pinned to the notes in this podcast, because it's just a habit at this point, is just by looking by position, like how many players are startable in standard dynasty leagues at their position. So how many players have had two top 24 or two top 12 seasons within their position rank? And I get challenged almost every time on that. Interestingly enough, because they just want different thresholds. Why don't you use top 36? Why aren't you really just looking for top 5? Because I'm not... Why would someone take an average and then use that as an expectation for an individual draft class? I mean, it takes... Look at the table. Like, one draft class to another is remarkably different. In 2017, we had nine nine top 12 running backs hit. And if you like points, uh, a points over threshold, which was a new one on me, but there you go. There have been nine running backs who scored over 225 points. I was told that would be remarkably different, and it was not. It is a little bit different at wide receiver, because wide receivers, we've had four top 24 wide receivers in 2017, and only three uh, wide receivers scoring over 225 points, but six scoring over 175 points. And this was a large, I think it's a misunderstanding, because they refused to listen to what I was actually trying to say. Um, essentially, they looked at the average in the market share database that I posted like an idiot. I said something online um, and assumed I was suggesting that running backs hit more often than wide receivers because the decimal point was slightly higher for running backs than wide receivers. Whereas if they actually asked me that question, I'd point out that top 24 running backs suck. I think I wrote the uh, an article for that on DLF about literally how we chase top 24 running backs so hard we push top 24 wide receivers down and wide receivers are ultimately more startable and viable in fantasy, especially when it comes to flex decisions. Like, that's that's my jam. That is my thing on how I draft and how I play Dynasty. But for some reason, knowing nothing about my content, he assumed because the decimal play, your obvious implication is that running backs hit more. Like, okay, whatever. But no, they don't. Wide receivers hit more often. You get more viable wide receivers from an individual draft class, no matter how you look at it. And the decimal point in top 24 doesn't matter. But what I ultimately ended me doing was breaking it down by an even higher threshold like players enter the top 36 in flex rankings so ultimately the 36 players we want to start every year running back wide receiver or tight end and how many of them come from an individual draft class i'm using an average which is another reason i get objected to a lot because you know you can't use wide receivers from three years ago they haven't had their full breakout arc which they have Seven percent of breakouts happen by year three, but whatever. I'm using an average since between 2008 and 2017. That gives me a nice round data set because I like those kind of things of ten years. It is a little earlier than the 2009 line I like to use because you see a lot of different NFL trends happen after 2009 between hit rates and tendency for wide receivers to play in certain positions on the field. But whatever, 10 years, 2008 to 2017, and we don't have to fret of the 2018 draft class, which does seem to be a bit of an outlier because of Calvin Ridley's retirement and DJ Moore's refusal to get a quarterback who can throw a damn touchdown. Damn it, DJ Moore. How did you fail to do that? Obviously, clearly, it wasn't his fault. That's a, that's the whole point. But anyway, um, so in those years between 2008 and 2017, per draft, we get about 2.8, so about three running backs that are top 36. 
overall scoring twice within their NFL career. Now, obviously, the 2017 class is still in the NFL, but we expect relatively few hits, and that's why I chose those averages, so I can't be objected to it. Those date ranges, so I can't be objected to on that fashion anymore. You know, beware the, what would it be, the fifth-year breakout, which do happen, and I've also written about, but just just so you know, uh, let's see, let's just do top 12. Uh, yeah, 66% of all wide receivers breaking out into the top 12 happen by year three. You don't get to a 400% till you get to year 11, but honestly, by year six, you pretty much have uh, 95% of all breakouts that have happened since 2009 to 2021. Uh, let me, actually, let's go to our exact date range. Why not? And I'm not even going to edit this so it sounds smooth or like I intended it to. Between 2008 and 2017, um, 60% of wide receivers had already broken into the top 12 who were going to. By year 6, 93%, 93.5% of all breakouts that were going to happen had happened. We do have one breaking out in year 8, one breaking out in year 9, and one breaking out in year 12. But again, we're talking about single individual years, which is why I restrict the other table to players who had two years at or above the different thresholds, because ultimately you don't... DJ Chark's irrelevant, which is something I get to, because so are Brandon Ayuk's, and he's someone I'm actually interested in for 2022. But again, not editing, so I'm not going to get lost on a tangent. There we go. But ultimately, we want to seek the consistent or wide receivers and running backs who really do show full utility, multiple years inside the top, whatever threshold you want to use. Because those are the players we're really lusting after in the draft class. If you think... We're going to go draft Drake London this year because we really hope he can have a career like DJ Chark. Then get out of town. We want two years, and we want two years at a higher than top 24 threshold, ultimately. But we definitely don't want a top 24 wide receiver season in literally the lowest scoring top 24 wide receiver season year. And so, yeah, we look over an average. But anyway, again, not editing, Pete. You really can't get lost in these tangents. Moving on. Damn it. All right. So... Yeah, uh, 2008 to 2017, we can pretty much say um, that that represents at least, what am I doing, uh, four or five years, so yeah, five years, it represents 82% of breakouts who are ever going to happen at a 12% threshold, and literally 91% who are ever going to happen at a top 24 threshold, and at the top 36 wide receiver seasons, um, it represents 96 Pretty much if it hasn't happened or we haven't seen sub-signal, at least a top 36 season from a wide receiver by the time they hit their fifth career year, which is the range we're looking in, then it's not going to happen. We do see individual spikes, usually because of changing situations. Think Robert Woods or Devontae Parker, who would both fit that mold, and both were somewhat underwhelming when to consider longevity and ultimate utility in fantasy. If you look at running backs, it's even more striking, actually, within the same date range, because running backs tend to hit a little earlier. By year three, 80% of all top 12 running back hits have already happened. By year five, the date ranges we're actually allowing for in our table, 90% have happened. Also, top 36 seasons within the same positional tier. But remember, I was just talking about flex ranks. This is as a running back, not as a flex player. And um, for 98% of all breakouts at the running back position have happened. Again, if someone from 2017 hasn't shown up, and it's not that they can't, because we do get, uh, you know, 5 to 10% of hits happening after this point, then they're most likely going to be individual seasons due to drastic or essentially unpredictable or more unpredictable 
individual context it's not that to that 2018 or that 2017 or that 2018 player on your roster can't do something if you really like them i'm going to tell you it's impossible especially since they're probably very very cheap and roster spots on worthless but i get it you can stick someone on that death chart just for the hell of it i guess and from those classes but ultimately what i'm saying is that the date ranges i'm looking at are pretty substantial outside of very very marginal hits that ultimately have relatively little long-term dynasty value if not overall points this is already pretty set there can be no objection i don't think a reasonable objection can't say well there's about to be two more players breaking out from 2017 or 2016 i think we're pretty much set on who's going to be the most viable from these draft classes especially when you consider we're going all the way to 2008 and it's pretty consistent after you get to the 2008 2019 2009 line Anyway, so 2.8 running backs hit as top 36 players. Remember, that's not all useful or valuable dynasty players because we're looking at a very high threshold to try and make the haters happy. And wide receivers, about 4.2. So about three running backs, about four wide receivers will hit from any particular individual draft class. Now, should that be a reasonable expectation from an individual draft class? No. Who looks at a table like this and thinks, therefore, there'll be four wide receivers that hit from next year's class? Who who is that guy? Like take the average. I, did you look at the table? Here are the numbers for wide receivers that hit: three, six, seven, four, three, three, six, three, four, three. Who sees consistency in that number? And that's the most consistent line. The consistency of wide receivers hits is actually the most consistent within this particular grouping of all positions. It's got about a coefficient of variation of 0.37 or 37% variance, which is actually remarkable consistent when you look at the running back hits inside the top 36 of flex, which is at a full 87% flexibility. So running backs that hit are either zero or they're nine. And there's really no way of projecting based on the average whether next year is going to be a draft class that has nine running back hits inside the top 36. 2017 class is amazing, by the way. It's pretty astonishing at both positions. Like we talk about 2014 a lot. We should be talking more about 2018. 17 because not only do you have this exceptional large hit at running back like nine running backs hitting inside the top 12 over a 225 point threshold but also also six wide receivers hitting inside the top 36 threshold of 175 points or in fact 11 of them no sorry four of them hitting inside the top 24 again four is greater than six which is what that one guy was mad about but ultimately you're looking at anyway you're looking at john brown versus dk metcalf and seeing see they hit more there's a distinct difference there but anyway so yeah 2017 is literally kind of off the charts in terms of hit rate and that includes all draft years closest is maybe 2008 um, obviously, 2010 and 2014 are huge wide receiver years, but they're kind of muted in terms of running back. But 2017's just could we have that year again? If I could have a if I could have a draft class be like another draft class, it wouldn't be 2014, it wouldn't be 2020, or wh- whatever your favorite is. It would be 2017 to remind you of some players that came from there and why it's ultimately overlooked. I think especially at wide receiver. Um, It's Corey Davis here. Corey Davis has two top 36 seasons. Curtis Samuel has two top 36 seasons. But only Kenny Galladay... um, um, 
sorry, Chris Godwin, Cooper Cup, and Juju Smith-Schuster have three uh, have two or more top twenty-four wide receiver years. Again, when you say those names, it doesn't sound like the twenty twenty-four draft class. But in overall, in terms of overall utility to a fantasy league, two thousand seventeen. Remember that took a minute. Talking about that five-year breakout window we're giving. Cooper Cup had his like first top five season, I think, in year two or year three, and then it took till year four or five before he actually got back there again when Matthew Stafford came to town last year. So again. It's just an interesting draft class and that it has by far some of the most utility overall in Dynasty League still to this day. Um, And yet it looks like one of the more disappointing draft classes because at the top you had Corey Davis, but then you get Chris Godwin and Cooper Cup both being drafted in round three. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster going in round two. Even third round Kenny Galladay, who's now a synonymous disappointment because of the New York Giants years, he produced one top 12 season and two top 24 seasons. In terms of overall utility, 2017 is kind of where it's at. And I don't need to convince you the 2017 running back year. Literally my screen just filled up with blue when I tried to filter for it. Aaron Jones, Alvin Kamara, Austin Eckler, Chris Carson, Christian McCaffrey, Davin Cook, Jamal Williams even had two top 36 seasons overall at the position, not in terms of flex ranks. Even James Conner came through, Joe Mixon, Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette, Marlon Mack. I'm just going to keep reading, I guess, because, yeah, it, it was a thick-ass class, and I'm just saying that kind of gets overlooked. If you want to talk about overall utility... Remember that you're hyping up the 2017 draft wide receiver draft class over the 2014 and 2021 even, which is mostly what my positional hit rates of 12 and top 24 are meant to ultimately look for. It's a Justin Jefferson's, it's a T. Higgins, who interestingly enough doesn't, hasn't had a top 36 flex season because technically he was 37th last year through, you know, an incongruity in the fact drawing a line is ultimately an arbitrary, uh, an arbitrary exercise, but still, anyway. So what was I going to get to here? Yeah, we should eventually expect uh, about seven um, players to be fantasy viable from any different draft class, but where those players come from, whether it's running back or wide receiver or, or tight end, I guess, you know, we'll throw them in there. tight ends have two top 36 seasons in this average. So, you know, that's Jimmy Graham and Morgan Kelsey in 2010, then Travis Kelsey later on, and then eventually Mark Andrews. It's a pretty rare event. I do think, you know, last year, Kyle Pitts and and before him, Evan Ingram were the best two candidates to do that. So far, George Kittle hasn't had top 36 flex um, rankings in him yet, and so he doesn't show up in the data yet either. I don't believe, although that'd be... That'd be the 2017 class again, wouldn't it? The last time that happened was the 2017 class. Sorry, I'm literally... Yeah, it's George Kittle. I'm wrong. George Kittle does show up here. He's the last guy drafted at the tight end position to actually hit this list. So, yay, 2017. You're the most awesome year. Anyway, where was I? So, yeah, seven. Seven should be the reasonable expectation from any random draft class. Should that be the expectation for 2022? No. Again, do I need to read out the 87% variability at running back? Even wide receiver, which is the most consistent of all the positions, is measuring in at 37% variability, according to the coefficient of variation. Again, that's got a baseline average of three. Most draft classes eventually produce three wide receivers who have two or more top 36 flex positions. So that's a very high boundary you know the the ultimately the top 36 scorers outside of quarterback at any position so you know the ones everyone your entire league is trying to start every week um as opposed to actual flex 
starts, but still. Um, where, where am I going? Yeah, there are some more interesting things on this, I swear. I know I'm babbling. Normally I'd re-record some of this and edit some of it out, but I'm starting to already lean on my desk because sitting up is hard. So, where is it going? Yeah, seven is a reasonable expectation from any given draft class, but remember that's including some of the best years at either positions. Folded into that average is 2009 and 2010, where we have six and seven wide receivers hitting this threshold from two individual draft classes, where the most common occurrence is three. And because wide receivers tend to have this slower breakout trend than running back, we probably won't know who they are for another couple years. And that's another aspect of this in Dynasty and why I just typically look over a position rank. Especially when I'm mostly playing and talking about Dynasty. Brandon Ayuk jumped into the fourth round of overall startups in 2020 by finishing inside the top 36 at wide receiver. The feeling and the value trends uh, of different positions and are not covered by position rank. They're not covered by players that score over a position threshold either, and they're not covered by players who finish inside the top 36 overall or their flex ranks. There's a lot of value in a draft class just because of how excited or how many positive things we see on an individual basis, basis pardon me, for how that player's career goes. The fact that Brandon Ayuk came on through a part of the season and was impressive instead of playing you know a full role as a second or third year veteran would be more expected to do um means that the value of him changed our expectation of what his career was going to look like changes more drastically similarly it makes hardly any sense to, to argue for the fact that because wide receivers finish more often inside certain position ranks means that they are more viable in a draft when it also emphasizes how rare running backs are this year especially both for the draft one of my main questions is do i take Brees hall one-on-one or put him one-on-one in overall draft board because if he's a top 12 top 225 top 36 run flex scoring running backs potential that makes him incredibly rare and run no player is ever cheaper than in a rookie draft and it would be it is a significant debate at least in my head for me whether that is worth taking one or over overall despite the fact they can be much more confident in despite having almost no confidence in how likely a wide receiver is to hit in the nfl even with draft capital on the table, expecting Brees Hall to be drafted in the first or second round, and that landing spot is remarkably difficult to read, whether it's positive or negative, and ultimately him, and also Walker, Ken Walker, having significant production means that we should have pretty decent expectations of being at least one of those top 12 running backs, if not one of those top 36 scorers. And that's one of the most rare assets in Dynasty outside of a tight end that is significant. That's, that was the Kyle Pitts argument last year. However, it's also true that class by class, looking at that ultimate variance between positions, it's true that wide receivers hit more often, that wide receivers have more overall dynasty utility, and we should expect that given a five-year breakout window, at least four wide receivers to have significant fantasy impact and be, and be ultimately startable. But it's also important, I think, and that's why I started 
that's what I hope the content of this argument is mainly focused on here, not telling you to expect seven, but to understand that seven number is highly variable by position to three running backs, four wide receivers on average, but that could be 2017 where we hit fairly well at both positions, or it could be 2014 where all, well, nearly twice wide receivers hit, but only one running back hit. So you really have to read the individual class. Um, inside the top 36, sorry, I was using it again. Or it could be 2017 when you look at the wide receivers, and they're honestly not the wide receivers you really... That's not that's not the fun I had with Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson. That's not DK Metcalf or even AJ Brown. That's it's Chris Godwin, man. It's, it, it, it's uh, Curtis Samuel having two top 36 wide receiver seasons. It's Cooper Cup waiting to his fifth year to have his second top five wide receiver season. It's a slow and weird-ass burn that Juju Smith-Schuster career has been. I mean, it doesn't feel like he's been a success recently, right? But he's actually had two top 36 flex rank seasons and three top 36 wide receiver seasons. Technically, three top 24 wide receiver seasons, but it doesn't feel it because it happened at late, not last year, but the year before. He came on late in the year when most teams had already been done and killed by drafting Juju Smith earlier, among other things, and his points per game came on strong towards the later half of the season. So, like, these top 36 seasons, flex rank overall, aren't really what you're searching for. You're searching for Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, and that's why I tend to post those positional finishes. Like, on average, we should expect two wide receivers and two running backs. I just cut the decimal off. It doesn't matter that one is higher than another. I'm not suggesting that wide receivers hit less often than running backs. I'm trying to point out how rare it is we get those type of producers. And that isn't a trend that's changing since 2021. In fact, these trends suck between 2018 and 2020. Because of injuries and individual context of a season, a lot of these players haven't got to two seasons at the position yet. And I thought about, you know, filtering through all those draft years and trying to remind you of some of them, like Calvin Ridley self-retiring, then getting suspended, DJ Moore having being the only player from 2018 with three top 36 flex seasons and yet refusing to find a quarterback who can throw him a touchdown, because that's obviously DJ Moore's fault, and um, some, some other context, but that's not the point. Hit rates and over thresholds are just meant to give you a general sense of what to expect, how high you should or could be on a rookie class. Four wide receivers is a pretty solid number for the number who have significant contribution to a dynasty team for more than one year or consistently. Um, at the wide receiver position, three is a pretty good number for the running back position. Seven overall and maybe not a tight end, maybe one, um, is also a pretty good number. But that doesn't lead us into expectations. What that tells us is if we like nine players for an individual class, and I like nine just at the wide receiver, and I'm pretty stingy with who I like, then we probably like too many players, which is the entire point of me keeping track of this. It's to remind myself that if nine ultimately fantasy relevant and ultimately some of them are going to feel underwhelming and disappointing and some of the great hits like Brandon Ayuk that that amazing rookie season isn't really going to pay off although I do think it could eventually because he's still fairly young in his career but there's been value dips and troughs and ultimately the point is you're probably too high on too many players from a rookie class because the individual careers are going to play out. It's going to be disappointing. It's going to be exciting. The value is going to go up. It's going to go down. Some are going to be Corey Davis. Some are going to be great hits. 
and it be not Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. It's just not quite, not quite what I wanted Drake London to be. Brandon Cooks isn't what you're aiming for while you're excited about drafting a wide receiver, but that would be an amazing hit from a draft class. That's what position ranks for me keep me in mind of. And if you want to count it a different way, that's fine. But I think the ultimate lesson from it shouldn't be this should be the number I expect over the next five years. It should be, look what we actually learn from what those hits look like. Ultimately, there's going to be ups and downs. And generally, we are way too high on way too many players. I like nine wide receivers in this class. Like, I have strong inclination to think all of them could hit. In fact, this class is pretty much one big tier two at the wide receiver position for me. I would be lucky if four of them have... What are some of the names I just read? Juju Smith-Schuster success, and that hurts me to use that as an insult, but that's an example of a success if we use three top 36 flex seasons at the wide receiver position. Josh Jacobs is a success story, a remarkable success story from a running back draft pick. That's not really what you're expecting. It's not that I think Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker is going to be that disappointing that Joe Mixon, that uh, Josh Jacobs... It's that ultimately, while we have to be excited, and every player is cheapest in a rookie draft, if you unite more than five players, you should probably be aware that most of those are not going to do anything. And of the ones who are going to do anything, some are going to be disappointed, some are going to go up and down in value before you really see it hit. So that's what I like to remember at this stage of the rookie draft because the NFL draft is exciting all the content is exciting and after doing so much work on individual players it's very easy in fact I would encourage you to be excited about these players but I like to keep in the back of my mind that we probably like too many of them it's okay but we probably like too many of them too many of them are going to turn out to be boxes instead of boats that's a reference from the Dynasty Grind that I just realized the Dynasty Crossroad audience might not be aware of. Anyway, um, yeah, why do I like being the wet blanket? I don't. Um, in fact, I would say this type of tracking gives you more inclination to go and get the players who you really like. And I'm not talking about paying crazy value. Just because you liked Cooper Cup a lot last year doesn't mean you had to give up like four first-round picks to get him at value can be a worthy phrase, right? Um, I like David Bell this year. I strongly suspect he's going to be an early to mid second round pick. I probably like him as a late first round pick, and I will do that if I have to. League mates, don't tempt me. It's that kind of class. I don't have to do that, but I should be aware of that's the player I want, right? It's a good class to take your shot, pick your shot. And in fact, I strongly recommend playing rookie drafts exactly that way. Don't let players fall to you. Instead, go out and get the player who stands out to you. Average hit rates be damned. That's what I think we experience. If you go back and you really look at and look at the table instead of the average number and say that decimal point is higher, therefore I infer, I impl I infer you're implying and get lost, man. <laughs> I'm excited about this draft class. I'm also very well aware that we are doing real well. In fact, someone in my one of my nerdy little chats the other day pointed out, if you have 51% odds in a casino game, the casino kicks you out. We mostly have worse than a 50% shot of getting anything in particular right in the NFL. We can work to do slightly better than that in fantasy football. That's why it's not a casino game. 
But rookie draft classes especially are much more like that below 50% hit rate. About 58% of draft picks made in the first round of rookie drafts, according to DLF ADP, have had a fantasy startable positional season. And remember, I'm dropping the threshold here, and that's what made everyone mad about that damn table I track. For my own good, and I share it for fun, if you don't like it, stop looking at it. I don't know what to tell you. Um, running backs that hit inside the top 24 hit 69% of the time. So if you draft a running back in the first round, you're pretty much guaranteed a top 24 hit. Top 24 running backs suck. That's the point. And Rashad Penny missed that, by the way. That's that's a stat I like to roll out when I was arguing for Rashad Penny at the time. 46% of wide receivers drafted with a first-round pick. Not particular one, but top 12 pick in a rookie season for, for rookies. According to DLF ADP, hit 46.8% of the time. So 47%. Less than 50% of players we've drafted at the wide receiver position inside the first round have hit for a top 24 season so far between 2014 and 2020, I think is when I've got the ADP racked up to. Tight ends drafted in the first round hit at an 80% rate because we've drafted very, very few in the first round and we're just talking about a top 12 season. We're not tracking the Jimmy Grahams and the Rob Gronkowski's here, just they were startable at the position, and that is particularly useless, remind you of Evan Ingram again, at the tight end position. And that's what success from a first-round rookie pick looks like. Yeah, Christian McCaffrey, Justin Jefferson, and Jamar Chase also come from that. Yes, I know, I think, if you look at positional average, we can expect at least two players from this draft class to be of that level of excitement. Keenan Allen and DeAndre Hopkins is always my go-to in a down wide receiver year where we expected less. DeAndre Hopkins was drafted in the first round. Keenan Allen was drafted in the second. That's my music. Yeah. See you later. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the play, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that, I, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road. Go, clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical